0: Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear, so I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely, so audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, Molly. Hi. How are you doing today?
1: I'm pretty good. I cooked my first pumpkin. I roasted a pumpkin, and then I made chili, so I'm feeling great.
0: (laughs) So, so cool. How did you cook the pumpkin?
1: you you cut it in half you scoop out the guts and you put it face down on a, a roasting sheet or whatever you stick it in the oven for 400 degrees fahrenheit and uh roasted it for like 50 minutes and it came out luscious and soft and sweet it was amazing
0: oh that's so good i've only ever had pumpkin seeds i don't know if i've had I've had pumpkin seeds and then i've also had a pumpkin like almost tomato sauce it was like it was a pumpkiny tomato sauce it was so good pumpkin yeah. all year round though like not just for halloween like forever yeah. we sure. yeah i'm like team squash i love <laughs> <laughs> i love, love squash. rocks it's squash rocks. That sh- that's, should be on some merch. Squash rocks. Squash rocks. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. I actually have been so excited to talk to you for quite a while. Um, I've wanted to like have you on the pod to talk about stuff, but there's so many. You kind of dip your toe into a lot of these topics that I'm quite new at and um, kind of filtering it down to what it could be was um, something that I had to had to really think of. But I actually came across your stuff from a mutual friend, um, Clementine Morgan, and I saw that she had shared your stuff in her stories and I came over to your page and it was like, I felt so validated um, from some of the writings that you had regarding, um, you know, like woke culture and cancel culture. And I actually ended up listening to an episode of your podcast. Um mm-hmm. And it was talking about the guest that you had on. I'm sorry, I can't remember which one it was, but because I've listened to, I've listened to a couple of the episodes. But one of the guests that you had on was talking about the ways that woke culture influenced their partnership with a person that mm. they were romantic with, and I just that hit so hard because I had left a partnership not because of that reason whatsoever, but I had left someone, um, you know, and they're very, very like you know, social justice focused and which is great. And and so am I in so many ways. But I started to like find that it, the movement wasn't always the movement that I thought it was. So what I'm trying to say is it just felt like things were constantly being revealed to me and, and that there was like language around things that I had been feeling or thinking for a while, but that I hadn't actually been clearly processing or talking about out loud. Yeah. So you kind of like – this like sweet light that I found online. And your writing has just been so incredible. Um and you've been like a really wonderful person to follow along with and learn from. And there's so many things. I just I like so much about you. So with I all see. of that, can you tell <laughs> do you want to share with the listeners, you know, a little bit about who you are um and then we'll get into sort of the topic of today.
1: Yeah, sure. And thank you so much for for all of that. I really have appreciated getting to know you a bit over the last few months since we got connected. Um, Yeah. So, and also the, the podcast episode for that, you're talking about the first episode with Kira. If people are curious and want to listen to it um, out of the woods, episode one. Yeah. So um, who am I? (laughs) Um, So I write, I, I have an Instagram um, and I write on my Instagram. I have a Substack and a Patreon and mostly I write the last, The last year or so, mostly I've been focused on the issue of um, what is popularly called cancel culture, though previously um, I called it call out culture and it was known as that, especially in like leftist spaces. And anyway, so I've been writing about that. I critique what I call neoliberal identitarianism um, or uh, as Adolf Reed puts it, the left wing of neoliberalism. And um yeah, so so I write, I critique, I guess. Um that's kind of what I do publicly. And yeah, I, I, I think that pretty much sums up my my public presence. Um it's funny that you that you or it's it's kind that you called me a sweet, um a sweet light, because I don't think of myself as sweet, but it, I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, you are very salty. Um you are <laughs> we are salty we are bitter we are all of the all of the things um no for sure you um when I say yeah when I say you're like this like sweet light I mean that like I come to your page or I come across your content or your writing and I feel like there is something filling in the gaps
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: that sometimes those gaps can be a little bit dark and that, you know, you come in with your reflections and I feel like, oh, there's like light that's being given here. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by that. Um, not that you can't be totally salty, but the things that you're talking about, (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah, that's really, that's, that's nice to hear. Thank you.
0: Yeah, of course. I remember, um, it was I remember it so vividly. I had a friend um, and she wasn't directly going through a cancellation, but one of her friends was and mm-hmm. they, I can't remember exactly what was going on, but race was definitely involved and, mm-hmm. um, and, and my friend who's a black woman, she's been like, you know, slowly but surely like stepping away from uh, like identity politics and cancel culture and just kind of like asking more questions and just saying like mm, I don't really know if the, these behaviors are exactly like what I want to be doing to myself or to other people. And I was like you have to look at this content and I mm-hmm. like sent her all of I sent her like you know so many of your of your uh writings and and uh your posts because they really helped me and they really helped her. Like I remember her messaging me and she was just like this quote that like Molly put, she was like, was so Mm -hmm. amazing. And so your stuff is definitely getting shared around. um, And for a good reason, like you're such a fantastic writer and you've obviously thought so diligently about the topics at hand and in such a sensitive and critical way, because these are actually sensitive topics. Um, You know, you and I aren't having a conversation on, cancel culture because we haven't thought about it. It's like definitely been mm-hmm. something that you and I have both like thought about and been talking about for quite a while. You, you more so, like definitely you more so. Um, and I'm that's what I'm excited to chat with you about today. So yeah. I'm curious. I want to get into who Adolf Reed is a little bit later, but can you go through your first cancellation? Um, like what was that for? <sighs> and then afterwards I want to kind of hear about like how you even began – Like, how did you begin to start writing about these things when they're so taboo? So if you want to start Mm -hmm. off, actually, with the first time that you got canceled and then we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Um, So I think I was not I I would say that I was called out originally. I don't think I was canceled, quote unquote, until sort of recently, um, but but called out. So I'll try to put this as succinctly as I can. I guess when I was 23 in 2017, I think I was 23. I can't do that math right now. But so 23, um, I had just quit my job um, and I I decided to uh, open a tarot reading business, which is so vastly different from the person I am naturally, right now. Naturally,
0: naturally. This yeah. <as> one does.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I was like, I'm 23. I've always had this pipe dream since I was 15 and started reading tarot cards of just like, Reading tarot for people, um, and I was interested in it. And I also was, frankly, quite sick. I now know that I had undiagnosed sleep apnea and bipolar disorder. So um, I was, I was effectively becoming disabled, and I couldn't really handle full time work anymore. So I quit my job. I opened this business, and I was finding quite a bit of success online. Um, I had accrued only a very small following on Instagram. I had like six hundred followers, but people were interested in my work, and I you know wrote an article that went like semi viral kind of um ironically about the things that I now critique which was about calling in the new age identifying uh oppressive ideals in our spirituality or whatever so um yeah so i was finding some success and i really finally like committed to it um doing this sort of project and the the day okay literally the day that i announced um my new uh my new name my new sort of brand identity or whatever which I don't think I've actually shared this since I've changed my online presence, but it was called the Firebrand Witch. And I announced that change. And in part of why I um, you know, explained why I had changed my name from bitchy and witchy to the firebrand witch is because I felt like bitchy, the word bitchy, was like a little too cis lady for me. And at the time I identified as non-binary, which I no longer do, and that's a whole other conversation, but um And that pissed off a person. And that person was somebody that I saw as pretty established in this industry that I was, um, you know, trying to break into. And she had, um, I don't know, maybe like 12,000 followers at the time. So when you have like a 600 follower uh, audience and you're looking at these people with a K after their name, you feel like they have infinite power, which is not always true, but it definitely is. a a differential in a huge way. I would never go after somebody with um, a smaller account than me Um, or really, I guess go after anyone. But anyway, that's another Mm -hmm. thing. Um, So anyway, this person um, accused me of being a misogynist. It turned into this thing and she um, ended up publicly accusing me of things that were extraordinarily egregious, um, including being an abuser um, being a misogynist, stalking her, <laughs> stealing her work. Um, and this was incited by my reaction to her calling me a misogynist, which was um a classic, which is I called her a turf, <laughs> mm. And so that set her off. I would not do that now. <laughs> there are so many things I would have done differently now. But um, so she went off and she completely, you know, attacked my character, my sort of, you know, tried to kind of wreck what little reputation I was building. Um, and this continued for months. She would tweet about me. Uh, she posted some screenshots from my personal Facebook, um, to kind of like defame me, I guess, if you want to use that word. And it went on and on. Um, eventually it escalated to her threatening to sue me for slander, which wasn't true because I wasn't speaking about her at the time but so anyway um it was really scary because i'm twenty three I'm like losing my marbles in and of itself because I'm like sort of sick and this was my biggest fear you know when you're involved in social justice culture the call out is your literal biggest fear um I think if you're really sensitive I think it's like your biggest fear because you know that it will destroy you and you know that it's terrifying to have people completely turn against you you know and to be exiled like that is the most human fear which is why the threat of cancellation is such an effective um obedience tactic yes an effective tactic for um you know the enforcement of ideology because it makes people obey because they're afraid and we're social creatures. But anyway, so that was kind of the the meat of what happened. Um or the skeleton maybe more that's more of a skeleton. But yeah, it was um it was really difficult and it was so difficult that I actually um went to like uh I I I didn't end up actually going, but um a partial hospitalization program. Um because I, you know it was the only time in my life where I like actively kind of tried to end my life because it was so painful, you know, like this stuff is really, really, really intense. Um, And so that's kind of what I got called out for. Mm,
0: no. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm sorry that that was such a horrific experience for you. That honestly sounds so fucking awful. And. I think the thing that kept coming up for me when you were telling your story is just that I'm like, this is, why are we tearing down the 23-year-old who has mental health problems (laughs) instead of like going after the class war? Like why are, like this isn't, you know, I think that a lot of the times when, when people say stuff like, you know, we only cancel powerful people, it's like, well, who was Molly? How was Molly so powerful in that moment? You know, and that's what, that's what kept coming up for me. and I'm not not to say that there aren't places of like, um having like privilege or access or stuff like that. I just mean that it's just so very clearly in a common sense way that doesn't make sense. like that didn't make yeah. anybody's life happier. Nobody got yeah. out of poverty. Nobody got healthier <laughs> from that. No not like you know, climate change wasn't eradicated. Like we didn't do any of the big the big things that we need to do in society. It didn't happen and yeah that just sounds like it's actually just like we're further tearing each other down instead of act, instead of i don't doing something fucking useful
1: yeah um so like no i think that that's a really good question ask actually like why are we doing that and so um i see her actions i mean partly i think it's like her individual um you know disarray and maybe her psychological issues in part um but i also actually see it as a response to cancel culture like the reason why she freaked out like that and she she was defending herself like she heard me say that that she was a TERF and um immediately if 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 you're a you know a self-employed person yourself and you know she was self-employed she was sick herself whatever um you know she went into defense mode because she knows how cancellation works and so i actually see um i see it all as just this big cycle um we do it because we fear it and it perpetuates and yeah so um i think it's awful and i think it's like why aren't we doing something more productive but on a but on your sort of on a practical level it does make sense you know i I think it she's she's an example in herself of why this is bad because she got so afraid of losing her own business that she like did a preemptive strike and she just tried to like beat me out of existence so she didn't mm. have that threat anymore.
0: Mm. And that's what I yeah, that's what I see often is that like people are not they're not going after like literal white supremacists or nazis they're really going after like their neighbors and their friends and yeah. it just It's just – it's awful to witness and I'm so sorry that – truly, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I am curious, like, so you're in that position, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and you were – you went through the horrible situation of, you know, um, attempting to end your life, which is just so, so, so horrific. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Truly, I'm so sorry. Coming and, like, you know, crawling your way out of that hole – And coming to a place to like, you know, be empowered and to start critically analyzing the situation that just happened. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how did you start writing about these things, especially because they're so taboo when you started writing about this stuff? Like, it's still Mm -hmm. very unpopular. Like, this podcast episode is going to be a very popular, unpopular episode because people- (laughs) don't like hearing about the fact that the ways that we're canceling people isn't it's not working and we're not canceling you know rich white men and redistributing wealth like we're not doing that we're anyways so how how can you tell me a little bit about the process of like crawling out of that hole and then like coming to start writing about these things
1: yeah, for sure. So, um the first thing that I published on this issue like call out culture at the time is what it was called, right? Um was t- November, I think it was like November 24th, 2017. I have no idea how I would know that exact date, so it might be wrong. But it was November 2017, which was a month after my experience with the initial harassment, which did escalate through the months. Um yeah, she was making fake accounts. She was doing all- Anyway, that's we're we're up. we're past that topic, but so um I, I think I just, I came to this place where, um, I just couldn't stand for it anymore, and, um, you know, I had had kind of issues, and I don't know if misgivings is the right word, but concerns, um, with this phenomenon from, like, my entry into Tumblr world, (laughs) my, like, the entry into Tumblr social justice world in the early 2010s when I was still in college, I saw like, it's very obvious, like it's pretty easy to see that there is a lot of conflict and it doesn't feel great, but you kind of convince yourself that it's okay because it's for a higher purpose. And I know for me, and this is one of my biggest points of self-loathing, it was like the my involvement in social justice was the first time in my life where I truly like uh, submitted myself to something. And I truly like gave over my, my sense of moral compass to something else that I felt like knew better than me. Um, I've always had a pretty anti-authoritarian bent, which I actually think is like, it, it kind of, I was stripped so bare by that experience that that like core of me came back out and was like I literally can't do this anymore and I can't do this for myself and I can't let other people go through this because it's inhumane like it's fundamentally terrible social exile and the even just the fear of social exile like that is the most I think that's like one of the most fundamentally horrible horrific things (laughs) that that you can go through psychologically because we are literally built as human beings to be social and to have that threatened to take to be taken away from you is just just awful and anyway so yeah I started writing about it after it happened and um I think partly it's just a quality of my my personality like um I've kind of always just been really outspoken and like I've been told since I was a kid like Holly, you always say the things that everyone's thinking but is too afraid to say. Like, Mm. I don't know what it is about me. Um, And maybe it's a little bit of, like, impulsiveness. (laughs) So, but, yeah. So I think it's, like, a a result of my personal character Um, Mm. and just, like, I mean, I'm a person who intervenes, you know? Like, that's why I got involved in social justice in the first place because I want to intervene on injustice. Mm. And so I'm seeing injustice And I'm also, like, pretty sensitive to things not adding up. And, like, it just all wasn't adding up. I felt Mm. gaslit by everything around me. I, like, didn't feel like I had a hold on reality anymore. But, um, yeah. And, like, seeing writings, like, earlier writings kind of empowered me. So, like, reading that Excommunicate Me from the Church of Social Justice by Francis Lee, which was published on, like, Autostraddle in 2016, reading that, reading mark fisher's exiting the vampire castle which he published in 2013 um when twitter was just sort of starting to ramp up with cancellation um i think that that made me feel like i am not crazy and Mm. there are people talking about this and i can talk about it too
0: so i actually want to touch on um something that you said you know uh you said it's fundamentally terrible. Social exile is terrible. And I'm just kind of like going through my head of like the ways that I would used to, I like if I were to hear this conversation back in 2016, back in 2017, I would probably say to two people having this conversation, I would say, well, it's not social exile. We're just, we're making them accountable for their actions. Like we're not telling them that they can't have friends, but we're just saying that you know they need to smarten up or they can't say the things that they said or they need to apologize or whatever so can you uh, like touch on that for a second because I'm sure that there's going to be some people who are listening who are going to say social exile like that's a little bit dramatic like no one's pushing anybody into exile but Hmm. from what I've personally seen that's not the case and it's not the whole truth so can you touch on that for us
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is you either concede to reality or you don't. So people will, will tell themselves like, that's not really what happens. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what to tell you to get you to believe what is true. Like, so I, that's sort of maybe a harsh reaction, but I've sort of lost my patience for people that refuse to see what I see. Um, but I mean, it, It is, in effect, what happens, you know, you may be arguing for a more idealist form of how this phenomenon goes down. Like, uh, in in effect, what really happens um, is when somebody is labeled an abuser, when somebody is labeled, you know, even like a racist, they, and that is, you know, assigned to them in perpetuity, (laughs) Um, Even after they apologize, even after they try to follow some script of accountability, but it follows them, they, it's not just what happens publicly online, you know? Like, it's not only, like, the spectacle. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes. You lose friendships. You lose, sometimes, like, fucking family members will, like, disavow you, you know? Um, you lose professional contacts which like in America like cancel culture is a labor issue especially in the United States where um healthcare is tied to your employment if this affects your employment whether it is through like people calling your work and getting you fired which has happened okay that has happened or in in my case you know Recently I went through a sort of I guess to argue you could call it a cancellation spectacle. Um I took time off of work to like cope with it emotionally and um I the next week lost my job and part of what was cited as reason for why I was losing my job is because of my like prior weeks absences, you know. And I, that was that's it's not just like cancel culture that got me fired from my job, you know, like that's that would be dramatic um and untrue, but like it was a part of it, you know, like it, it's, it's a labor issue. And when I, you know, I'm lucky enough to live in a state with pretty robust um, unemployment benefits or whatever. So that's, that's fortunate, but um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a material problem. And the thing that drives me bonkers about this is like everyone, not everyone, okay, I should say everyone, but a lot of people think that like the cancel culture issue, um, if only because of language and how the right has kind of uh, domineered the conversation or dominated it. Um, they think it's about celebrities. They think it's about fucking like Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, no dude, like Harvey Weinstein is an example of like a a public spectacle takedown that I think is actually quite effective because uh, we can talk about that, I guess. But anyway, that's, that's like a thing that I'm okay with, you know, but like most people, like this is a phenomenon that happens in the insular kind of left wing of politics and like feminist communities or whatever. If you wanna call it a community, I personally wouldn't call it a community at all. Um, But, you know, and the people that are involved in that are the most marginalized people in society. Okay, not the most marginalized. I shouldn't say that, but not all of them. But like many people who are involved in that are pretty fucking marginalized, dude. Like it's trans people. It's people of color, you know? Like it's not just this like imaginary straw man of like the rich white man who gets canceled for sexual assault. No, that happens. But most of the time it is like a young queer person who dated the wrong person or said something on the internet 10 years ago or whatever um or a self-employed like creative who somebody decided to take down consciously or not because it's a really effective pr move for your personal brand which we all have now because of thanks to neoliberalism but you know it's it's If you like kind of zoom out and you like remove the social justice aspect of it and you see how it plays out career wise, it's like a classic careerist move where you sabotage the person on the come up so that you either can destroy the competition from the top or so that you can destroy it from the bottom and you can elevate yourself. And it, it's, it's a spectacle, you know, you win, you look better, people will flock to you because the person who engages, like who initiates the cancellation now looks like a hero and people want a hero. People want to participate in a heroic feat. You know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to tell people. It's awful. And it's the cons. I've sort of gotten off topic, but like the consequences of it on your mental health are absolutely real. Um, You know, Dr. Christine Marie Katas ha- wrote an entire PhD dissertation, if you'd like to read it, about the effects of public, um, maybe, it, I actually don't know if it's public shaming or what, um, but the psychological impacts. And through her psychological research, she, you know, uncovered that it's like very similar to the symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder you know like this isn't a, something to take lightly there is the ideal of what cancellation looks like which is justice um but if you believe that abuse is 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 unethical and you believe that um punishment is wrong then you must also disavow the reality of what cancel culture and cancellation as a spectacle does to human beings that is that is what i believe
0: Mm. and you said in there too um that was all that was so so great thank you so much for that you also said in there that let's take a very extreme example like Harvey Weinstein, and yeah. you know, you said that's actually a public spectacle takedown that is okay in your opinion. Um, you know, not everyone would agree with that, but most people, I think, would would actually agree with that. So I'm curious, like, do you think that there is like a time and place for for these things? You know, if 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 we're kind of like you know, um, comparing cancel culture to abuse in a way. Is there times where that's, like, okay, or is there times where it's, like, actually not abusive and it actually is accountability?
1: I mean, I think in the case of Harvey Weinstein, part of why it worked is because he is so extremely high profile. The other thing is that Hollywood is public, you know? Like, it already is kind of a public industry, and um, and so it's it's such a particular context. It's such a particular context. Um, you know, I I just when people ask that question, it's like I uh, like m- most instances, I just think that public humiliation isn't really going to lead where you want it to, you know. And the other thing is like whenever cancel culture, the topic of cancel culture comes up, I even sort of regret bringing up Harvey Weinstein because then it inevitably leads to like the, well, what about rapists? And I'm like, for me, I've, I'm i not even really talking about that for the most part. Like, I'm really more concerned about people who are, like, losing their, like, livelihoods and also their sanity for public harassment about um, alleged ideological transgressions, you know? I think that the question of, like, what do we do with rapists is frankly a question that I am not... Um, I'm not well equipped to answer. However, I do know, I I think that Clementine Morgan has a lot to say about that, that um, I don't think I have the expertise, whether it's through like, you know, through experience or um, I, I don't know. Professional, professional experience or personal experience, whatever, to really answer that question. But yeah, what I like, do we're not.
0: Under- yeah, we're yeah. not. Neither one of us are like researchers or doctors or experts in that field at all. And it's almost like, well, what about rapists? It's like, but we're not fucking talking about that. What we're talking about is like our next door neighbors and our family members and our very good friends that are being canceled over bullshit tweets that was sent out ten years ago. Or like right. you renaming your goddamn Instagram handle like we're not like <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. it's like people taking the most extreme examples and then cross applying that to everyone
1: and exactly. saying Exactly, and it's so frustrating.
0: It's so derailing cuz you're like yeah. obviously ob- it is so very clear um so very clear that somebody who has sexually assaulted Or raped another individual needs to 100% be accountable for their actions. Of course. Why would anyone think otherwise? But it's like, I I don't know what that has to do with the fact that, you know, we're trying to work on each other and trying to not, you know, create these like very weird obedience public shaming tactics to one another. Like, that doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, for the purpose of ideology. And the other thing, yeah. I, the last thing I do want to say about that is like, um, I I know people. For example, like I know that there are people who like in the Me Too movement moment, like um, did call out their abusers, and it backfired so so bad for them, and they became like it like reignited this experience for them where. You know, they were stalked by this person or harassed or like, you know, like, I think that practically um, and strategically public shaming and it's not it's like the public shaming and the mob trying to, um, you know, exact some sort of justice on this person and like messaging all of their professional contacts and even their family and um friends associates and people who follow them on the internet and saying don't you know who you follow like you should reconsider like you should like you know the attempts to excommunicate this person um it's like I I actually don't stand by that because it often backfires and hurts the person who is, you know, people that are truly survivors end up, you know, it's not a safe position to be in. It often, it doesn't necessarily stop that person because you can't force people to take accountability and change through public shaming. I mean, my personal opinion is that the, the people for whom public shaming tends to actually, um, affect psychologically to the point where they become obedient are the people that are already pretty fucking sensitive um and non-violent anyway because they're mm. so like conscious of their behavior and they you know i just i don't know if that's true i haven't done any mm-hmm. research on that mm-hmm. and like I'm sure that there are experiences where people have called people out and they see it as successful. But I guess the question is, what does success mean? What is it that you are trying to accomplish? Have you accomplished it? Have we accomplished it? If the goal is to transform rather than to punish um, or to uh, uh, receive some sort of obedience without any kind of, um, you know... um, concern for the party who is on the receiving end of it psychologically, then yeah, maybe it has succeeded. I don't see justice that way. I don't see justice as equivalent to punishment and inflicting um, unnecessary psychological suffering on the other party. Mm -hmm. And I also, the other thing about cancellation is that it is not inclusive of, like, it does not include due process. So I know people who have been falsely accused of egregious things that involve um, accusations of interpersonal abuse. And I know that they are false because I have read the chat transcripts Mm. and I see the way that the accuser was actually abusing them. And they have manipulated this tactic of social justice to continue abusing and stalking this person. Mm. And so... When we say believe all survivors, no, because sometimes there are people sadly who will claim to have that status that are actually in the process of abusing someone and then that person gets cut off from their community because some little fucking sniveling nerds on the internet have <laughs> like like dm'd everyone that loves them and said like this person fucking sucks and then now they are dealing with uh, just so much, you know, like it's just not this ideal form of justice that I think people think it is. I think it is a vehicle to just do to perpetuate violence. And mm. I have no patience for it anymore. I'm getting very heated right now. Oh, but anyway, I'm just I thinking love of it. the people that have been hurt and it drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that was you. I could listen to this honestly forever because you're hitting all of the notes for me. And I think that the thing that um, stuck out for, from that was just the public shaming doesn't actually educate, and that's sort of what I personally went through back in 2017 when I had two influencers do an Instagram live about my posts and why they were wrong and like why they weren't okay, and and I was so fucked up from it, and it mm-hmm. didn't it didn't stop, and and it was from people who I thought were. Friends and I thought were friendly with, and it was it wasn't just an Instagram live. It was like an Instagram live, and then the repercussions of that were people coming and and it was it was because i I said uh, intersectionalism instead of intersectionality. And because of that, they said that I was like deeply racist to Kimberly. Crenshaw who developed the concept of intersectional feminism and they were like you're racist and you need to take down these racist posts where you've said this and then they went through and they critiqued my grammar and they critiqued my spelling and it was like so weird and it then it brought up like all of the things of like childhood where I'm like I have had a learning disability and like I didn't even graduate high school and like I didn't even Almost like I but, wanted to be like that like that kid in yeah. Mean Girls where I'm like, I don't even go here. Like I don't even <laughs> like, you know, like I'm not yeah. I don't even know what's happening right now. And it was like this is like very weird leap between one to the other. And and then I was like, okay, I have to be like super submissive to this. And then at the same time, I don't know what gave me the audacity, but I was just like, no, fuck that. Like I have integrity with all of these things. Like I'm happy Hell to like yeah constantly do better I'm so happy to like continue to learn but what are you doing like what are you talking about did anything actually come of this did anybody was this actually helpful and then I felt like so resistant to the idea of like uh quote-unquote being educated like you know I felt and that's sort of what I was what I'm getting at is when you said public shaming doesn't actually educate that's sort of what I've seen is I'm like if we can pressure people with a group into an idea or into an apology, that means that they actually haven't formulated or made sense of the situation themselves. And yeah. they can be equally pressured into another idea and into another. Yeah. And that doesn't feel like that's the future that I'm interested in. I like would rather people come to their own conclusions and make sense of things on their own and that's, that's accountability and that's integrity to me. And, Mm -hmm. and I think what you said too, when, you know, this is like a big one for the listeners, like, what is success in this way? You know, what is, what's our goal when we are calling people out? Is the goal to transform or is it to punish? And I think that that is so poignant and that just like spot that just like weighs so heavy on what are we actually doing? Like taking a moment to stop and think about What we're doing online. And I am curious, like, you know, in a little like thought experiment, what, let's say I see someone go online and they say, I'm, they say that they're not going to get the vaccine because they think that the vaccine is going to give them 5G, let's just say. And I think that they are spreading a harmful idea or they're saying something that's really harmful. What actually do you think that people should do in that moment? Or let's say somebody, you know, doesn't speak up about BLM or something like that, like a company or a brand or whatever it is, or a person, like a single person, what people are trained to say like, hey, you're not allowed to do this or you're not okay to, you know, you you have to do these things. Um, So like what's the, almost like what's the opposite, you know, because I think that for listeners, they're going to think like people might think, you know, I can't just like scroll on and not, you know, let that, that go on i have to say something i have to intervene i have to step in you know because i have to speak up for those who can't kind of thing so i am curious like what do you think that people should do if somebody has fucked up and we're online and we're witnessing it
1: i mean so um i mean i guess you've given concrete examples but my first my first reaction is like well what does fuck up mean who is defining what fuck up means and um you know in the case of like the anti-vaxxer it's like, well, who are they? Do they, Are they a doctor? Do they have influence? Are they a wellness influencer who's doing this? Are they just some like random schmuck on Facebook in a Facebook group? Like, do they have any actual power or influence over other people, you know? Um, like you can debate people if you want, you know? But there is a difference between debating someone and trying to cancel them, you know? Like there is a difference between publicly critiquing somebody and uh, publicly humiliating them and trying to cancel them. Um, I actually would fucking love it if the anti and pro cancel culture crew debated each other and just like laid it out on the table and just went fucking ham. I would love that. And that's like a public thing. It's a public, it's an experience of public criticism and public debate. um, But that is not the same as mobilizing a mob um to get people's you know book deals canceled and to get people's you know jobs get them fired from jobs and all of this stuff and like get their professional contacts to disavow them um and i mean i think that that is actually an effective tactic politically for certain things um particularly against institutions um though you know i think it's one tactic that can be effective like vertically rather than horizontally it's a lot about scope like the actual influence um and the topic but then so then you mentioned like for example not posting about blm or something i know somebody who i actually know like quite a lot of people who got canceled to quite devastating consequences for not posting enough Or, you know, you get canceled for posting the black square or you get canceled for not posting the black square. And like it actually that experience had material impacts on people's lives unnecessarily. Um, It it was sort of just like a hysteria. Personally, I think it was like this moment of public hysteria, Um, especially like white people were just like freaking the fuck out. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, because anyway, but the, the white conscience, I think, can be a little wonky. But so that leads me back to, you know, your kind of point about education and the concept of like, you know, we have to be able to educate people. And when people say that, this isn't a criticism of you. It's just a, you know, a thing that I hear people say. And I've, I used to say myself, but like, I always kind of come to like, well, why do we still think that we are the moral arbiter? Like why? Like, it's still a question of enforcement of an ideology. And so it's like, What if someone just fucking disagrees? Like, for example, if someone were to come to me and be like, Molly, this is all about your white privilege. You need to do the work. I would be like, yeah, you know, I actually have done a lot of thinking on this topic and I fully, like, firmly um, am opposed to identitarianism. And that includes on the basis of race, on, like, um, you know, a." body size or like gender um and identitarianism is for me different from identity politics um i think that identity politics and like coalition building is actually really important and like you have to understand the differential impacts on different you know um social like groups in order to fully like you know do political work but like identitarianism um it's just like essentializing people on the basis of um social like construct is something i am firmly against and i am not going to be educated into agreeing with identitarianism and people will there are people in this world <laughs> i know because i've i've been experiencing it who think that that is so fundamentally wrong that i should be publicly shamed um and that others who are aligned with me should uh are, are worthy of having their employers contacted and warned about them um that's fucking ridiculous <laughs> like that is so ridiculous and so when i hear the sort of like educate view it just makes me sort of like it kind of begs the question for me of like well uh, what you know sometimes People aren't gonna be converted to our ideologies. And when that's the case, you know is it is it, you know, fair to then try and intervene on their lives um as a as a you know reaction to that disagreement.
0: Ugh <sighs> oh, beautiful, brilliant, bold. We love it. <laughs> yes, we I don't, I don't love know if it. we
1: all do, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: fair 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 i love it i think it's i think it's so great and there's there's so much to chew on and i really do appreciate what you're saying about having public debates is actually different than like actively mobilizing a mob to punish people and publicly critiquing ideas is also different than cancel culture like you can disagree with someone's idea and also not
1: condemn you, them
0: yeah condemn them or infiltrate their life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
1: that's
0: accurate. And because it gets really scary when people start, you know, I had a friend that went through cancellation and she had people calling her, um, and this is a black woman, so don't – everybody who's listening who thinks that this is only happening to like white people, it's Oh, yeah. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. Can I actually say to that point, the person who I mentioned, who has like I sort of alluded to, who had somebody call their employers to warn them about them is literally a trans person of color. (laughs) <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. this isn't just some fucking like phenomenon happening to white people. That's outrageous. When it happens to people of color, it's worse because racism makes things worse. Like mm-hmm. anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um yeah, she had people she had like yeah, she had people literally calling her and saying like you're gonna have to change your number soon because we have it, and you know we're never gonna let you forget what you've done, Holy and God. you know uh, there were th- there was encouragement of suicide and like Holy just God. like just shit that is just this, and then and then what happens is that people who have contributed to someone's cancellation will say well that well I didn't do that. Well, I didn't do that. And like, you know, I wasn't part of it. And it's like, but you actually, like you were a piece of that. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing is that you were a piece of that. And I just think that there's so much here to reflect on about the ways that like we we treat each other. And this this truly – isn't meant to because i know that you and i have done a, like a lot of deep work especially with mental health and like we are very like anti coddling like i don't care to coddle people like if you've done something wrong then like you've done something wrong and like yeah. you definitely yeah. deserve to sit in like your discomfort and you mm. and work through it i just yeah. don't believe in i just don't believe in the whole punishment i don't think that it's ethical and i don't think it's okay and i think like n- we're not treating Everybody, like they're Harvey, like we shouldn't be treating everybody like they're Harvey Weinstein because they're not. And that's not what is happening. Um, So I really appreciate you coming on today and chatting about this. We are currently out of time, but Mm
1: -hmm. I'd love to like
0: potentially have you on again because I feel like we just skimmed the surface (laughs) of all of this. Um, Yeah but would you would you tell if, if you have any you know remaining thoughts that you want to that you want to get out we can chat about them now or you can just let people know where they can find you and where they can find your podcast
1: yeah thank you so much for having me on i enjoyed this i got super heated so i don't know what this is going to end up being like <laughs> but um if you like to hear more of my ranting and raving about topics that make people mad you can find me on instagram at um mole francis francis with an e and um i have a Substack. uh i'm, I'm just, maybe i can put a link down in the show notes or something yeah um but i have a Substack and a patreon my patreon's for more personal writing and my Substack is for more like um public kind of i guess social critique or whatever um yeah and any sort of concluding thoughts i mean i think that cancel culture is a really hot button issue I think that what I want to say is it is so tied up, I think following 2020, the summer of 2020, it is so tied up in people's imagination of being around racial justice issues, when in fact, um, I don't see it as that at all. I see it as, um, I I see racial justice um, kind of being like a momentary a focus for cancellation, like a momentary subject focus, but this has been happening in feminism f- as early, you know, I mean this has been happening in humanity for time immemorial. Um and and so though I've like, you know, mentioned racial justice and that's kind of been brought up in this conversation, this happens with everything. This happens with like body positivity or, you know, like um fat acceptance. This happens with um, you know, gender Um, And it's, it's, it's just, um, it's, it's a lot. (laughs) And I think that it's easy to try and um, derail the conversation by simply saying that it's like, bigoted white supremacists are the only people that have a problem with this when in fact the reality is many many people of all different social locations have issues with this i mean for example adrian marie brown who is a black woman wrote a whole freaking book about this you know Mm -hmm. um and so anyway i i kind of just want to offer that reflection and i did earlier mention somebody um a, a thinker a scholar named Adolf reed and he's particularly critical of what I mentioned, identitarianism. So I highly recommend that people um, read a, read his work if you're interested in kind of where I'm coming from when I mention identitarianism. And that's all. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Molly. <laughs> really appreciate having you on.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kenzie.
0: All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time.